What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Branch, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raff's, of course. We've got Jays Gunner for Days. Josh, we also have a moment of silence. Do you do you know what that moment of silence is for? I was going to say the exact same thing. We absolutely need a moment of silence. We need a moment of silence for the death of home and home conference schedules. It is a tragedy. It is now there are a lot of things that I that infuriate me about conference realignment and when my camera stops focusing. So maybe that'll start happening again here in a second if you're watching on youtube um but i also i love i love a couple different things i love the simplicity of a home and home conference schedule i love the fairness of a home and home conference schedule and i love the i guess the intimate nature of a small conference a conference that is 10 teams that you know, even 11 teams, fine. But even like even with the Big East going from 10 to 11, it even even that feels bigger, even if even if it's with a UConn team that is familiar to the conference historically. I love all of those things about about home and home conference schedules. And the Big 12 was one of the few that still provided that to us. And uh, that is no longer the case. In 2023-24. I guess we're just holding on to the Big East, right? Shouts to the Big East, man. Just just shouts. Big East Media Day th- today as we're recording this. But, but yes, yeah. shouts to the Big East. There was something special about the way the Big 12 was constructed. We've talked about it before. It is, whether we want it to be or not, the beginning of a new era. And mm-hmm. I was thinking the exact same thing. We need to pay homage to the glory of the old Big 12 as we... Mm-hmm for get the you know first part of what is ultimately going to be the new era of the big 12 and begin that transition i know we usually start right off the bat with with the team we're most excited for and we're going to do that and we'll get to the conference schedule breakdown in storylines more extensively but before we kind of jump into our categories here um just real quick on that on that topic um, per the Big 12, right, 18 conference games. We're not jumping to 20 in the Big 12. We're staying at 18, and it breaks down as follows. Um, teams will play five Big 12 opponents, home and home. So they'll get five, they'll get 10 games against five teams, and that'll be the that'll be the 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 bulk, or just over half of the conference schedule. And then the other eight teams, so 14 total teams in the conference. Uh, of course, you don't play yourself. That would be interesting. Um, you'll play the other eight teams in the conference once, and you'll get them either either home or away. The quote from the Big 12 was, opponents were selected based on a combination of geography, historical results, and a poll of the coaches to best balance the schedule in terms of travel and, com- and competitiveness, whatever that means. Um so that's that's the schedule. I'm sure we'll get to we can talk about things of like how the schedules break down and how that might play into a a winner in this conference this season. But um, 
but that I bring to the table. I also bring the list of teams playing in the Big 12 this year. Are you ready? I figured it out. <laughs> I, I, I dove in and I figured it out. Here in alphabetical order is the teams playing in the Big 12 this year. Baylor, BYU, UCF, which is third on this list because, right, Central Florida. I was like, why is UCF third in this alphabetical list? That's why. Uh, I was Cincinnati, you. Cincinnati, yeah. Um, Cincinnati, Houston. That would be like putting UConn there. Mm-hmm. Like, however we refer to them, that's where you should put them, right? Connecticut would technically be right there, too, but mm-hmm. it's UConn. Houston, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, and West Virginia. Those are the 14 teams that make up the conference that has the number 12 in its title, but that's not exactly an uncommon occurrence for those two things to not match up. Uh, anything else you want to say in regards to either of those things before we get into our actual categories? I guess you could say that there are currently 12 long-term members of the Big 12 in the conference. That's something mm-hmm. to get to 12, right? If you exclude sure. Oklahoma and Texas. Sure. Now, it's not going to stay at 12. We're never going to get 12. But there are 12 teams that will be part of the new Big 12. So there you go. There you I go. just realized that. How about that? Sure. Um, all right, let's dive into the categories. If you are new, welcome, by the way. Those of you, we got a lot of support on our uh, Big Ten basketball preview pod on YouTube. So if you are now listening or watching to uh, watching this one as a result of coming across the Big Ten, uh, welcome. We appreciate you uh, listening and clicking on the podcast. If you haven't, been here before for these conference previews we break this down in a way that is most efficient but also try to touch on as many teams as possible five different categories is the way that we've chosen to do that and they are as follows uh first the team you are most excited for uh then followed by the team you are most intrigued by and then a section of storylines that kind of break down the conference on a whole level And then we'll go teams that could make the NCAA tournament and, of course, a winner because it wouldn't be a preview podcast if we did not do that. Josh, you've been here before. I assume you don't have any questions on how this works. If not, I'd love to hear which team you're most excited for in the Big 12 this season. You might be angry at me. I'm going to warn you right now. Okay. My answers. My My most excited team is Iowa State. Oh, come on. Don't this, worry. Don't don't click off don't don't click off of the podcast yet. I'll t- we'll talk about the team that should be the answer to this question here in just a moment. I, so please don't leave, but um tell me tell <laughs> tell me why. Just objectively speaking, I am really curious to see how good this team can be. You got Tame and Lipsy, Trey King, Robert Jones back, which is not exactly the foundation of a fantastic team on paper, but Mm -hmm. super experienced guys. Taman Lipsy is only going to get better as he continues to go on in his career. You saw a lot of good things from him last season. But then you bring in two mid-major all-conference guys, and Curtis Jones and Jackson Jackson Povletsky, plus a top 15 recruit in Omaha Blue, another top 40 recruit, in Milan Montilovich, and then another top 100 recruit in JT Rock. Now, how much all of these guys are... I mean, Baloo's going to play. 
Palou's going to mm. be one of their best players. He might be their most important player, the one that's going to determine their ceiling. But it's a combination for me of you have some known quantities. You injected an awful lot of talent in this team that needed an injection of talent because of everything they've lost. And you've got all kinds of potential here, specifically with Baloo, that you don't usually see this kind of talent in Ames, Iowa. That's my justification for this, is I'm not entirely sure how it's all going to come together and what their ceiling is, but I am really excited to see this group of players and what it can do. Yeah, I think it, it was hard for me to to look past when it came to this Iowa State team. It's difficult for me to look past just how... The, the combination of it kind of felt like there was something special going on in Ames last year at times. That combined with the guys that you lost and their importance and all of that to say, right. We were at this point in the middle of January where you were 13 and two heading to Kansas and you just barely lost at fog Allen. And then you come back home and you beat Texas by 11. And all of a sudden it's January 21st and you're 14 and three with a win over Texas, a win over Baylor, a win over Villanova, a win over North Carolina. Um, and, and and I know then you get into the Big 12 schedule, which is just a, a completely different beast, and somebody has to lose games. I'm actually really interested to see how that kind of changes as the conference gets bigger. Yep. Um, but those those things combined, and you still end up 19 and 14, I... I just I, I'm not totally and, and the, the the two things can be true. Like you can be excited about what this team could be, what it looks like, and also not sold that they're gonna make the NCAA tournament. I think those things are allowed to coexist, even if they don't always or even don't usually. But for me, looking past those two things, um admittedly was pretty difficult for me. Yeah, my my thing is, I think you even, I feel this way, and I think you even feel more strongly than I do, that there was just a ceiling on those last two teams sure. because of their offensive limitations. And because I agree with that. you're not talking about top 30 recruits typically, right? You're not talking about all Americans generally. It's been a, mm. it, it's been a little while since you had the George Niangs and Monte Morrises and those kind of caliber players there. Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. And so, all of a sudden, you have those kind of difference makers that were simply not there the past two seasons that can go make plays for you, that can go score 20, 25 points in a game that have proven to be go-to scorers at the mid-major level that mm-hmm. are, you know, Omaha Baloo, a top 15 recruit. There are... There's certainly more question marks than last year where you were bringing so much back. But there's also, I think, an argument that you can talk yourself into. There's a place this team could get to if you trust TJ Otzelberger to do the things he's done the past two seasons and just make this team better than it looks on paper. Mm -hmm. There's an extra layer 
to this team an extra wrinkle because of these unknown quantities coming in that have all of this potential. I think that's fair. I would probably argue that there's a better chance that that happens next year than this year. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because I, while I think there are places on this team that there's space to get to that, that, that last year's team couldn't, that the floor is also yep. way lower. But it could also Which, be a situation. It could also be a situation where it doesn't look better during the regular season, but you get to the NCAA tournament and you feel better or the big 12 tournament and you feel mm-hmm. better about this team because they're more multidimensional. We talk about that all the time sure. too, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. It's not that they're necessarily going to be a better team, but I think there's a real argument. They are a better equipped team to ultimately be relevant at the end of the season, instead of having to watch another one of those just incredibly painful first round NCAA tournament games. <laughs> the, I was just looking at their Kim Palm page. They lost that game 59 to 41. Yeah. Would you like to guess how many field goals they made in that game? 12. That's that's really good. It's actually 14. Okay. Um, but 12 two-pointers, and they were 2 of 21 from the three-point line. Um, believe it or not, Pittsburgh made no more field goals. Both teams made 14 field goals. Now, Pitt had six, had six threes to the two from Iowa State. They also outscored them at the free throw line by 14, which is yep. that accounts for 14 of your 18 yep. points in differential yep. right there. And the other four points are right there at your um, at the three-pointers. Anyways, um, I think that's interesting. Um, I think I also think this will be a year where you and I – enter the season feeling differently about Iowa state. We've, we've, we've certainly done this before. And while it's not, there have been years where they get tacked on to the end of your teams that could make the NCAA tournament. And it's a little ridiculous. I don't think we're quite there this year, but well, I didn't uh, do it two years ago. So then I had to apologize to TJ last year. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're sticking true to your guns and that I appreciate about you. That that I appreciate your uh, your loyalty to to what's going on in Ames. Um, uh, I'm excited to watch Kansas play basketball this year. <laughs> um, let's talk about real just real quick what they lost. Right, lost two of their their top two scores from last season in Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick. Uh, but KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, and Dewan Harris, all three back. That's that scores three through five on last year's team. And of course, the headline act here is the addition of of Hunter Dickinson at the center position. You also add guys like Arturo Morris from Texas last year, a Big Twelve transfer there, and then a highly productive uh, veteran college basketball player from from uh, mid major Towson Towson, and uh, that's Nick Timberlake, which I think. Uh, expecting him to be a productive high major college basketball player is not uh, is not very far of a stretch whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Whether it's Hunter Dickinson and what he what he brings to the table in terms of translating to wins as a guy who was the best player on two not so great Michigan teams the last two years and talent was never question at Michigan they they keep recruiting just fine um it's 
there's you know questions here. It's weird. I I usually I feel like I have a few more questions about this Kansas team, but I feel but I have less feelings about whether or not they're actually going to be good. Um, because last year, if you remember, I was kind of I was down ish on oh, Kansas. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was as foregone a conclusion. I don't really feel that way this year. And maybe it's just because I really like Kevin McCullough and Dewan Harris, both as just veteran presences. And the fact that I think Kansas is going to be really good defensively this year as a result of those two guys. I like KJ Adams a lot. And I think that Hunter Dickinson is a really great basketball player that shouldn't be asked to be the dictator of culture and presence in a locker room and that that what the, the winning culture at kansas is just going to overshadow that um but i'm really excited to see them play um i think hunter dickinson in a, in a different uniform other than michigan is just going to be something to get used to um and they're just going to be they're going to be super fun to watch and Al Marco Jackson coming in is also yes. worth noting here is another highly yes. touted recruit new piece yeah. along with Timberlake. Those are kind of your outside of the, yeah what you've already discussed. Those are the two other new role players alongside Dickinson and Morris that are going to kind of reshape this team. The mm-hmm. thing I am most intrigued by and curious about is how they use both of these bigs. Sure. Because a lot of what KJ Adams does so well and a lot of what makes him such a valuable player is his ability to play a small ball five, mm. right? Ability to guard multiple positions, to rebound. It gives you more defensive versatility. He's so good in the paint, even though he's not the tallest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And so now you have two bigs who operate primarily in the paint. Yes, different skill sets, at least to a certain degree. But what does this look like if you're putting them both? They're clearly two of your best five players. Are you putting yeah. them both on the floor consistently? Because to me, they are I think both so. centers. There isn't, and I know, you know, there's a little bit of an ability to stretch the floor and stuff. But it, it they're. I just don't see either of them as power forwards. Do you agree with that assessment? I I do agree with that. I think I would tweak it slightly to say that the best version of both of them is at yes. the center position. Right. Not that they can't play together. Yeah. But that if you're just building a team around both of them, you want them both playing the five. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that that both do right putting either of them at the four is not really the thing that you want to do to unlock other parts of your team right whether it's right. you don't really want Hunter Dickinson to have to share the paint with anybody you'd love to put him at the five and play like a you know a pick and roll four mm-hmm. in a four out one in yep. kind of thing let Dewan Harris just run the show and KJ Adams more on the other end of the floor what you can do defensively and kind of mm-hmm. switch everything yep. is is kind of what he unlocks. So I think the the puzzle pieces don't obviously fit together when it comes to because I don't like I don't actually have 
worries about Bill Self being able to figure out how to how to play both of them. Yeah. But I think that can be true and also be and also wonder if if there's a way to maximize both of them with both of them on the floor. Um and I think that's going to be really important because the other question I have about this team is you know we talk about and maybe it'll be one of these guys coming in, but we talk about elite Kansas teams having one of one of three things, and it's really two of the following three. It's a really great big, right? Whether it's yep. David McCormack or um, Yudoka Azubuki or go Nick Collison, whatever, yep. whoever you want to throw in there. Um, and then they have one of the two following. They either have a Devon Dotson, a... Um, uh, a Devonte Graham, a Frank Mason, Frank Mason, the original Natty Poy, um, Sharon Collins. We can go down the list of those guys as well. Or they have a guy like Jalen Wilson or Ochai Baji. Yep. The, obviously, the bigs are there, but right, your your game manager, your running the show guy, and Dewan Harris is not really that, right? Asking him to take 14 shots a game is probably not the best, the the optimal way for Kansas to be great this season. And and maybe it's one of these guys that's coming in, but the 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 elite perimeter presence, the wing guy, is at least not a layup. The layup that it's been the last couple of seasons, Jalen Wilson, Ochai Baji, um, and that's the other that's the other big question for me because there I don't. If it's if it takes a little time to figure out how to use Hunter Dickinson the most effectively on the offensive end with KJ Adams also on the floor, I'm not totally sure who it is to lean on a ton on the perimeter, especially when with those things I've just mentioned and the fact that your your shooting is probably the biggest actual question mark, at least for me, um, outside of Nick Timberlake who comes in as a you know, on like seven threes a game, shooting forty percent. And if he does that, maybe that's all you really need with Hunter Dickinson. But um, then the next guy is Dewan Harris on just like two point one threes a game last year. So I think all of those things kind of work in tandem. If you figure one out, you might figure all of them out, or they can all kind of be a headache throughout the season. And last season, we were questioning whether Jalen Wilson could be that guy. Not that he couldn't, but saying that he has to be All-American level for this team to reach its full potential. It became very clear very quickly he was up for the challenge. But that's a very important point you made, because even last season when the guy was sitting there on the roster as the obvious heir apparent, it still just can't be assumed that he becomes an All-American. Now you're talking about, I don't know who that candidate even is. I mean, I mean is maybe it Kevin it's our- McCuller? See, but and the thing here is, I don't want that to be Kevin McCuller. Kevin McCuller is way better, way, way more impactful when he's a cutter, when he's a rebounder, when and he's, he's a defensive doing... guy. That, yeah. That's not he's not a scorer, yeah. right? There aren't. Yeah, it's a very. It's not that there isn't somebody on the roster who could take that role, but when you're talking about the key players that you're listing as returners. None of them are score first offensive difference makers. Right. 
I mean, may, like the, the the primary options probably Arterio Morris. Arterio, sorry. It's going to be interesting. At least he's probably the guy in the starting backcourt with Dewan Harris to start the season. And, it's and maybe not that like just makes him spe- the most. I mean, that, and that's a guy, to your point about there could be that guy on the roster. Jalen Wilson was clearly a very high-level college basketball right. player. Morris played 11 minutes. Now, granted, a stacked Texas lineup that was especially strong in the positions that he was trying to play. Mm-hmm. But 4.6 points on 11 minutes per game, shooting 33% from the three-point line, um, that's, that's a much bigger jump than what Jalen Wilson yes. went from two years ago to last year. Right. And all of that being said, I think they're going to be spectacular. <laughs> I do. I think I, I think I just have faith in Bill Self to figure it out. And they've got a lot of really good college basketball players on on their basketball team. But I think the I think the questions are I think the questions are fair heading into the year. Who are you most intrigued by? Kansas State. Let's do it. What in the world is Jerome Tang doing year two? Dude, Jerome Tang doing the dang thing. We need a drop for that. We need to. We just need. I feel like that could come in handy. Might have just, to work. Yeah, on that. just the one of him saying we got dudes. Yeah, that has the so, same vibe as David Fisdale saying, "Take that for data." You exactly. Know, just like we got dudes. Yeah, I don't have to explain it further than that. Right. <laughs> and some of those dudes are back: Naquan Tomlin, Naquan Tomlin, Cam Carter, mm-hmm. David Gasson. Obviously, the two primary dudes not back. Mm-hmm. So you've got this interesting collection of players coming in. Quest Glover, weird situation there, but he's headed to the Little Apple. Three top hundred-ish recruits, and then your two big transfers, Tyler Perry and Arthur Kaluma. You know yep. how much I love Arthur Kaluma. To me, he's screaming to be an all Big Twelve kind of guy, with added responsibility on this team, yeah, and so many points to replace and so many shots to replace. It's a good team on paper it might even be a better team on paper than last season's now last season was also supposed to be the worst team in the big 12 but to me this is really about okay now people are paying attention to you you have some guys back but you also need to rebuild the heart and soul of your team because it's mm-hmm. yeah can jerome tank keep this thing going was that a flash in the pan where they weren't just good they were legitimate final four caliber team obviously they didn't get there but they came close and they you felt like they had the firepower to do it yeah they just maybe weren't good enough defensively but this is there are important pieces here that have not been what marquise noel and keontae johnson wore for that team last season i'm i'm just fascinated by this whole project and what happens second go around yeah we're gonna find out you know i talked about on the big 10 pod, this idea of who was responsible for Michigan's success early in Jawan Howard's tenure. Was it Jawan mm-hmm. Jawan Howard or was yep. it what beeline left and kind of the guys he got to, to, to put on the floor for those few years. I think we're going to, I think we're going to find out just how much of that success was centered around Marquis Noel, not just from a, the thing we talked about last year was that Jerome Tang got was able to keep him there. 
when he could have gone somewhere else and he stayed and he was the heart and soul of that team and he was the best player on that team and you could tell just how important he was because of the nights that he wasn't great even if Keontae Johnson was they weren't good and the nights that Keontae Johnson wasn't great but Marquise Noel was they were still they could still beat pretty much anybody mm-hmm. and can we can we recapture that magic and that kind of passion that you could clearly see for the program when it's Tyler Perry coming in when it's Arthur Kaluma, um, Naquan Tomlin, I, you know what you would think would be kind of the heart and soul of the team as the guy coming back. Um, or maybe it's Jerome Tang. And that was the point I was trying, mm-hmm. kind of trying to get to is, is there, what's the encore look like when the two guys that everyone will point to first in terms of on court success, um, how can we run it back in year two? And the other part of this for me that we talked about last season even is what does this program look like moving forward? Mm. Can you continue to retool season after season? Because I continue to believe the best pathway to talent for this program is to go and find the guys looking for a fresh start who have produced at the college level, the guys who want a different opportunity, because you're not probably going to win an awful lot of recruiting battles. But can you go land the, the Keontae Johnsons, the Tyler Perrys of the world, so that every season you have guys you feel like can be all conference level players that can give you those special moments you need to go win road games in the Big 12, to make a run to a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, etc. Mm-hmm. To keep you relevant on the national stage. And it, you know, we just need time to answer that question. But that's the other part I'm interested in is, this is what year two looked like. It was a lot of retooling based off of transfers, just like what, you know, Drum Tank basically didn't have a team. Like you said, it was Marquise mm-hmm. Noel. And he built a team that nearly got to the Final Four. It's mm-hmm. not that extreme again, but it's not like you're just bringing the same team back. Right. And the success of this year might even be more important from a keeping Kansas State on the map yes. in term, in that conversation specifically. Yes. Oh, that's a place I can go. And I'm Arthur Kaluma. I have had some, I've, I've played really well at Creighton. I'm a very respected college basketball player, but maybe I want a little bit bigger piece of the pie. And not only can I go to Kansas State to do that, but I can turn it into real team success too. Yes. Tyler Perry. Um, and like if they're getting the Tyler Perry of mid-major basketball every year, that's not a horrible place to be. Right. To me, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. But you got to be consistent there. And like you said, you got to prove that that is ultimately going to lead to the success you want. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been malpractice for the team that for, – for a team – joining the big 12 to not be featured in the team you're most intrigued by here. Um, I could, I could throw any of the teams in there just because of the, the nature of the situation, but Houston is Houston. And in terms of the team, in terms of the program that I think people could shift their feelings about them as a program this year in the sport as a whole, I think there are going to be I think there are people who want to jump on the Houston was 
a team just beating up on mid-major mm-hmm. basketball teams mm-hmm. and that people will want to be quick to jump on the they're not good enough for the Big 12 this uh this year if they you know if they start slow in non-conference play that doesn't tell you but if they start slow in Big 12 play if they maybe underachieve a little bit I think people will be quick to jump on that so yep. I'm intrigued by by that in general and I think Houston is a good example because it's a well-oiled machine at this point. They pump out high-quality basketball teams every year, and they're doing so again this year. But it's not like it's not like they're joining the Big Twelve with Marcus Sasser and, and Jairus Walker. There are, you know, your best players not there. You know, you, you know, you join last year. It's like where you get Marcus Sasser back. You have this re- recruiting class. You know, they have some guys coming in this year as well, but it's not as copy and paste as it would have been if they did this 12 months ago. And I think that's really, really intriguing. It of course starts with Marcus Sasser and Jairus Walker leaving for the NBA. And anytime you have to replace NBA level talent, that's a, that's a big question mark. And Jamal Shad is back to run the show. He's rock solid in the backcourt. Um, and joining him there is, and actually an interconference transfer now. Um and LJ Cryer. Cryer fifteen points on forty five, forty one, eighty nine splits last year. We're talking we're forty, fifty, ninety. <laughs> like we're we're pretty close to that there. Um Juwan Roberts is is back as kind of the you know, kind of the do everything guy. Um excellent rebounder that saw a big jump in both rebounds and shots blocked last year. I expect that to go up. There's a lot of opportunity for breakout guys guys that you feel like could have been higher on the production table last year but they just weren't because they were waiting in line guys like emmanuel sharp um, yeah and terrence arsenal that was the other name i had yep. on my list in particular um they this team could be better on paper than it looks I mean, sorry, it could be better than it looks on paper right now if you're just looking back at what guys did, what guys did last year. And the the big thing here that intrigues me is is LJ Cryer. I think LJ Cryer has a chance to win Big Twelve Player of the Year because for a couple reasons. One, I think Houston's going to be that good. I think they're going to be in the conversation to win the conference, and that's step number one if you're going to when big 12 player of the year is that your team has to be relevant. I think Houston's going to be relevant in that conversation. He averaged 15 points per game last year. And that was with Adam Flagler and Keontae George on his team. Two years ago, he was hurt and it was James Akinjo, Adam Flagler, Matthew Mayer was on that team. There was a lot of perimeter um, pie to go around. This year, it's him and Damian Dunn from Temple. I think Damian Dunn's going to be, like a really solid addition there. But I also think there's a very clear one and two there. And Jamal Shedd is a true point guard that he's not quite as I'm only here to run the show as I yes. think to, maybe DeJuan he Harris go, is. He can go drop 25 he, when he needs he can, to. He can do what he needs to do when you yeah. need him to do it. But I'm not sure that's what you want him to do. And I just kind of think it sets up perfectly for Cryer to have, like he's going to step into the Sasser role from right. a from a shots perspective, 
So, I mean, and Sasser, what was Sasser was 18, five and three last year, something like that. Um, and I think he's going to go, he took 11 shots per game last year. I think that goes up. And just to, just to bring the comparison all the way, Sasser last year, he took, he took 12 shots a game. So, so a little bit of a bump there, but I also think there's a chance it could, it could bump higher for, for Cryer. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by Houston in the conversation of of Big 12, what it means for the program, how people think about this team. Um if they're really good, do people actually think even higher of them or does it not really change and and vice versa if they struggle? And there's going to be a lot of talk about guys like Hunter Dickinson this year, um the guys that Texas has um and there's a lot of talent in this conference this year. Um I think Cryer has a chance to be up there at the very tippity top when it comes to who has the best season in this conference this year. But I'm intrigued by all of it and um, seeing them not beat up on a bunch of AAC teams and then get tested by Memphis twice a year is uh, is a much more intriguing place for Houston to be. This is my runner up, so I'm glad you picked them. Cool. And I was going to say that the same thing you did about Cryer. Right. Marcus Sasser did that next to Jamal Shedd. Yeah. So LJ Cryer can do the same thing next to Jamal Shedd. Right. I don't see Shedd taking all that much more of the the scoring responsibility. I see somebody like you were laying out stepping into Sasser's role. I'm right there with you. And it is the other part of this that intrigues me is you have an interesting trio of things converging here. You have your two foundational pieces in Shed and Roberts, who you know what you're getting, experience in the program, productive, part of these winning teams, you feel good about that. Then mm. you have two transfers that may end up determining your ceiling in Dunn and Cryer. They are the ones that are supposed to replace what you lost. And then you have these guys waiting in the wings, who, by the way, were really highly touted recruits that just didn't get the playing time because, well, look at last season's roster. <laughs> I think I think you actually don't need to look much further in that kind of to 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 support that than looking at this year's recruiting class for Houston. I think they're kind of I think guys like Emmanuel Sharp and Terrence Arsenault are kind of operating as of course you bring guys in like Cryer and Dunn, but I think those guys are kind of operating as your recruiting class a little bit. Yes, still. exactly. Mm-hmm. And that it's just year two of that recruiting class rather than feeling like you have to go back to to the um to the high school ranks. Yeah. I would I would not be surprised at all if they turn into really, really good Big Twelve players this season. Cause I'm right there with you. I th- I like the way you put it. That when you look at what is coming in and what is what has left, it doesn't maybe it balances out sort of. But to me, the ceiling is higher on this team because of the fact that there are six guys here who could be all Big 12 level performers. Now, they're not Mm -hmm. all going to be because they're not all going to get the opportunity. But I really feel that strongly about Arsenal and Sharp that we could be talking about them in that category by the end of the season. Definitely. Definitely. Anything else on Houston? That was kind of, I talked for a good five minutes and gave you everything I had. What's... Are you good jumping to storylines? Because then I can continue with my first one that involves Houston. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's okay. do it. So my first one is simply the newcomers. To yep. me, that was just kind of the first thing we had to talk about here. Yep. And for Houston in particular, the obvious question is, can they contend for the Big 12 title? Because that's the expectation. Not necessarily that they're going to win it, but that they should be one of the three best teams in the conference mm-hmm. at a minimum. And also, like you said, the conversation about the national narrative. Because you can say Houston's just beating up on bad teams, but also Houston doesn't lose to bad teams in the NCAA tournament. So if the NCAA tournament is some kind of statement, how do those two things sure. go together? It's not sure. like Houston is bad when they play elite programs. <laughs> right. That's the mental hurdle I have with that part. Now, my belief is that you have to take Houston out of the AAC because they are a Big 12, Big 10, SEC program, that level. Mm-hmm. That is fundamentally not built Kind of across the board, to... too. Kind of right. across the board, too. Like, that, you know, their football program will, would step in and be just yeah. fine elsewhere mm-hmm. as well. They are fundamentally not built to win a national championship, just like, generally speaking, Virginia is not fundamentally built to win a national championship because they can't score. Mm-hmm. To me, that has nothing to do with the AAC. They're going to win an awful lot of games in the Big 12, too. To me, it's the, it is the same question, which is, can they take the next step? I, I've been consistent with this. I just don't have faith in them winning Elite Eight and Final Four games consistently. I have all the faith in the world in them getting there, getting to a Sweet 16, getting to Elite Eight. And we saw it last year, where you have some offensive struggles in the tournament, and but again, they're and, not... and you also ran into a Miami team that put yes. up eighty nine on you. Right, there aren't because very many teams have... that are gonna gonna win that because one. But they... the, the Northern Kentucky game in the first round was, that was ugly. ugly. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't so great. But they did get through it ultimately because that's what Houston does. Yeah, so yeah, right, they don't have the ability to turn the to flip the switch and go. And we talk about this all the time, and we don't have to get into this whole conversation because we'll talk about Houston all season. But when you need to go score with somebody because Carson Edwards is on the floor having the game of his life, can you do it? Mm-hmm. To me, the answer has been no. That Virginia team said yes and was able to hang in there with Purdue. Now, they almost lost because you need some luck to win Should've a national lost. championship, too. Should have lost. Probably. Just right? from the freeze frame yeah, on the right. other side of the court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they found a way to score the points to at least give themselves the chance to make the play to win, right? That's where what I happened with... against Miami, too. Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong combined mm-hmm. for 46 yeah. in that game. And right. Nigel Pack has Nigel Pack was 8 of 12 from the field and 7 of 10 from the three-point line. Offense is going to win sometimes. Do you have what it takes to go win that game? We talk about mm-hmm. this all the time. We don't need to keep going over it here. But that's... That's my thing for Houston is I, I don't really I don't really have an interest in the perception of the program. To me, if you if you don't expect them to be one of the big best teams in the Big Twelve immediately, you're just not paying attention to who they actually play every season yeah. and what they do when they play the elite teams, whether that's scheduling them in non conference or playing them in the NCAA tournament. And mm-hmm. then you got the other three teams. I really like Cincinnati's pieces. It, it's not a team that you look at and you go, That's a phenomenal basketball team, but Aziz Bandego averaged a double-double and three blocks a game at Utah Valley. That that seems like a player that's going to make an impact. Mm-hmm. You and I both know what Seamus Lukosius can do. Yep. That's a, that's a you-put-him-on-the-floor-and-good-things-happen college yes. basketball player. Yes. 
And maybe CJ Frederick just starts shooting the lights out. I know it's been it's been a tough go for him, but maybe that happens. Jamil Reynolds. Primo Spears played, knows how to score the basketball. Yeah, Jamil Reynolds has played for two different AAC programs, mm-hmm. so he's got. And obviously, they're not in the AAC anymore. But you've got Victor Locken is back as your major, you know, notable returner. They've got a lot of pieces that are interesting. And I think they might surprise some people with a coach that I believe in this first season. And then you keep going with the other two. BYU have been really good under Mark Pope. Bad season. How do they bounce back from that while also playing much better competition? And then UCF, to me, it's just, can you take it up a notch? Because... Can you not get lost in the sauce at the bottom of this conference? Right. Because it's not like you're coming in as one of the best programs in the AAC where it's a natural progression of, oh, Houston is just ready for this jump because they're already playing and performing at a level that they're a big 12. That's not where where Central Florida is. Now, does being in the big 12 give you the resources to elevate your program to the point where you can get there? Right. But it's just interesting to me how different these programs are in terms of kind of their history and where they're at right houston elite program cincinnati terrific history a program that's supposed to be around the top 25 that seems to be working its way back Mm -hmm. byu limitations but also have some really good seasons and a good coach and ucf trying to kind of turn the page and write a a better story here in the big world i think it's fascinating i think I think it's the the other part of this for me is kind of looking ahead at what the conference is going to look like next year mm-hmm. and seeing where the conference kind of gets its depth from as teams, you know, because Texas and Oklahoma, even in the bad years, are probably going to supply some depth. Like even when Oklahoma isn't that exciting, they seem to be a tough out, and still in the middle of games, in the middle team. of January, they're pushing. They're pushing Kansas to the max in Fog Allen on a on a Saturday afternoon in January. And we'll see. Like I think that's the important part of because the thing that's at the the thing that, that the Big Twelve is at risk of losing is not the top end of their conference. It's the oh my gosh, you play 18 18- gauntlet games in the big 12 that's what you're at risk of losing and you're probably going to lose it because it's much more difficult to have 16 really quality teams than it is 10 like you're probably just going to lose that and you'll have teams that finish two and 16 in conference not because they're really good and so not because they're solid and someone has to lose them but because they're just actually really bad um and so that's the other part of it for me. Can BYU be that program? Can UCF kind of be that, you know, that, I don't know, the Kansas State of old where it's like that team's probably going to lose a bunch of games, but they're they're a pretty good team. They're going to Kempom better than you think they're going to, that kind of thing. Because um, that's where we're going to keep the elite nature of the Big 12 if it does stick around. Let's talk schedule just a little bit, right? Schedule, how it shakes out is a important part of this now. Like I said at the beginning of the pod, you play five teams home and home, and you'll get a lot of your, right, Duke and North Carolina are always going to play a home and home. 
right? That's never not going to happen. Teams like Baylor and Kansas, they're going to play a home and home. Um, those things are are going to happen, right? Like that's that's what they mean when they say things like historical results, that kind of thing. Um, just a couple things I thought were interesting here. Baylor is going to play Kansas and Texas twice. They will get Houston only at home. So Baylor will play Houston just once at home. Um, their road schedule for Baylor uh, outside of the home and homes is UCF, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. Of course, Kansas State should be a really tough one. But in terms of the teams you'd like to play yeah. on the road that you get that you may or may not have to, UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia are pretty good. I actually think West Virginia is pretty interesting still. I think they have a lot of really good college basketball players. But, of course, that hasn't been the headline like you really thought it would be um, at the beginning of the summer. Um, Houston will play Kansas and Texas twice. Texas will play Baylor and Houston twice um, and will only get Kansas at Fog Allen. So only one Texas and Kansas game this year, and that will be um, that will be in Lawrence. So um, we'll see how this shakes out across the across this first year. And of course, it's not going to be this version of the Big Twelve for very long. So we'll kind of have to recalibrate what all of this means next season. Um, right, next season. This is the yep. only year of this Big Twelve, right? Um, and I'm guessing, like, I find it hard to believe when they go up to 16 teams that this is in the 20 game schedule. Like it feels like you're not going to play anybody if you don't go to 16. So let's game that out. 15. Yeah, it would have, right. Cause the obvious kind of evolution would be you play five teams twice and you play the other 10 teams, 10 the other 10 teams once. Yeah. Right. And to, to get a 20 game schedule. Yep. So maybe that's how it works out. But um, it's another conference that this question the question of the conference schedule goes from, okay, where are the tough stretches? Where do you get four games in a row at home? Where are you going to play 10 days, three games on the road, and it's going to be forever before you get back home, um, to where are the actual advantages here? Um, because it's going to happen when you don't have the exact same schedule that everyone else does. It's sad. That's all I have to add. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, how many more storylines and- do you have here? Two. Okay. Where are you going to add something there? The other thing I'll throw in on that too is from an NCAA tournament resume perspective. Sure. How how do schedules shake out that way? Where you just knew every game in the Big Twelve basically. You're either at home, or it was a game that was going to help your resume and wasn't going to hurt it. When you get to the bottom of this conference, is there somebody on the bubble? who loses a couple of those games or avoids getting to have to play them where it's a road game against, we'll just say UCF for this example, so that you don't have a chance of losing at UCF at home. Instead, you get Baylor, Texas, and Kansas or something. And so you have more opportunities to get your marquee wins without taking bad losses and that kind of thing. That's the other part of this I'm interested in. Yeah, you know, losing to UCF or Oklahoma State, some of these teams that are down there at the bottom of this conference, like it might be like losing to that team at home this year or or even on the road, like 
we're talking about like the worst road loss that any team in this conference has had, you know, in 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. Just by just by the nature well, of it. Maybe there were a couple of I was gonna, there that been Iowa some, State there, team was awful. There were a couple of really bad teams. Yeah. You're right, but, but generally, it's, speaking, but it's up there. But yeah, it's up yeah, there for sure. Mm-hmm. You ready for my second one? Yep. Yeah, I got one more. Okay, I've got one. I, had, I, wanna... I had newcomers and the schedule, and then one more. Okay, I've I've got one I want to finish on, so this will be perfect. My second okay, one is just transfers and who's end up delivering because you're looking kind of across the conference and specifically the teams that you expect to be competing for the conference title heavily reliant on transfers. We talked about Kansas. We talked about Houston. Those are right. Maybe your two front runners for conference player of the year have not. Well, that's not true because LJ Cryer has played, have not played big 12 games for the program. They'll be playing for this season. Mm-hmm. You go look at Texas. Max Asmus, Caden Shedrick, Ethel Horton. Caden Shedrick, sneaky. Like sneaky transfer guy. Going to be important transfers, exactly. I mean, you can keep... And then you've got the other... We talked about the the Cincinnati guys. Baylor. You're looking at an incredibly important piece in in Ray J. Davis. Dennis, sorry. Ray J. Dennis, who is... Basically, the guy coming in to offset all of the guards you lost. Yep. Right? He's going to be a huge part of whether they're successful or not. TCU, Ernest Uday, Avery Anderson, Jameer Nelson Jr. Really good trio transfers. Going to go bucket a long way getter. toward... Jameer yeah. Nelson Jr. Bucket. A walking going to determine, bucket. Going to go a long way toward determining how good that team is. West Virginia yep. is basically a brand new team. Oklahoma. Some important transfers led by John Hugley coming from Pittsburgh. Four of your top five scorers are gone. You know, you can keep going down the list. Texas Tech also basically rebuilt that entire team. It just seems like every single team almost is going to be heavily reliant on transfers, and a lot of it is the top of the conference. So that's the, the second storyline for me is do some of these guys at a Cincinnati and an Oklahoma at a Texas Tech surprise and kind of be one of those teams that you look up and you go, that's just a bunch of really experienced players that know how to win. Or is it something that maybe decide, you know, separates Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Texas from each other is mm. that Kansas's transfers aren't quite as impactful and Houston's are spectacular or something like that. I'm going to actually take a section of what you're talking about here because it's my third storyline. And it's just, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a guard guy. I'm a guard guy. I believe even though the best players in the country the last few years, or at least most dominant players in the country the last few years, have been big men, right? You have your Zach Edes, your Luca Garzas. Um, the best player on the team that just won the national championship was a big man. Um, Oscar Chibwe last or two years ago now. Um, I still wholeheartedly believe that this is a guard-driven sport, and you cannot be successful with low-level guard play. Ask Purdue about the back half of their season. They had the best player in the country. Their guards weren't as good. And that's ultimately why I think that's ultimately why they lost in the first round. These are the these are just the guards in this conference this year. You ready for this? Just the guards. Like we're not talking about any of these other big men. You know, not no Shedricks, no 
no Hunter Dickinson's, no KJ Adams, none of it. Not even guys like Kevin McCullough Jr. Who I guess you could throw on this list. Anybody that I didn't throw on this list that you think could be a guard is probably just because I looked at his height and I was like, eh, borderline. <laughs> so this isn't a knock at anybody who's not on this list. This is just in a very quick through the rosters. These are the guards in this conference. Dewan Harris, Arterio Morris, Nick Timberlake, LJ Cryer, Jamal Shedd, Jameer Nelson Jr., Max Asmus, Tyrese Hunter, Ray J. Dennis, Langston Love, Tyler Perry, Kirk Krista. The guards are incredible. They're unbelievable. And when and, and I'll circle back specifically to just like you said, it just might come down to whose backcourt is the best when it comes to who wins this conference. Um, especially at the tippity top. Are Dewan Harris and whoever the main backcourt guy ends up being better than Jamal Shedd and LJ Cryer? Are they better than Max Asmus and Tyrese Hunter? Are they better than Ray J. Dennis and Langston Love, who I also think has a chance to be like most improved yep. type of like yep. he's another guy that was was way back in line of a team. Like the maybe he was a four star previously, Langston I, Love. He might have been yeah. a five star though. He was like top thirty. I think it, Type I think it was thing. a four. Yeah. Um, right. Battled injuries and just never right. got everything, right. got the opportunities and never got going. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to Kansas, Houston, Baylor, probably the three teams that I would coin, maybe throw Texas in there. All four of those backcourts are awesome on paper. And the one that has the best season might end up being, I think it's, it might actually be the best argument for Houston because those two guys are, are awesome and they've got really great players elsewhere on the floor. But in terms of proven commodities at the high major level, because Tyrese Hunter and Max Smith, that's pretty scary sounding, Yeah, but you know how I feel about mid-major transfers coming to high major programs, especially when you're a small high volume scoring guard. Um, I just have questions about your impact. Um, LJ Cryer and Jamal Shedd, I have no questions about what either of those guys can do in the big 12. And, and I've already talked about why I think Cryer is, is, has a very real chance to win big 12 player of the year. So I, I'm super pumped about this conference just so I can watch the guards go at each other. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And uh, especially like in Houston versus Kansas games, when Dewan Harris is going toe to toe with Jamal Shedd, just like inject it straight into my face. It's gonna be, <laughs> it's um, it's gonna be. And Kevin McCullough Jr. is is guarding L.J. Cryer. Yeah, just all of it. Give it, give it to me all. My final one. You touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to give my thoughts on it as well. It's simply the sure. depth. How of many the conference of yes. the conference? Yes. Sure. How many good teams do we have? Because I'm looking at this, and there, you know I like to talk myself into teams. Mm-hmm. There are just some teams in here that I am not scared of. Yeah. And two of those are BYU and UCF. Mm-hmm. Of just, it's going to take a little bit to even get up to speed. You see this all the time when schools, unless you have Doug McDermott, <laughs> it just takes a little bit to get up to speed in a new conference. Even if you have yeah. all of the the pieces in place to eventually be successful. And as we've talked about, not even sure UCF has that. Mm-hmm. So what is the NCAA tournament 
bubble conversation look like? How damaging are these losses? Because I've been the biggest proponent of, I don't care how many games you lose in the Big 12. You can't use 500 as a accurate metric. Because if that yeah. team was playing in a different conference, they would win 12 games. Yeah. You can't say that anymore. At least probably. Because as you pointed out earlier, are we really going to get 10 to 12 good teams every season in this conference moving forward? I just probably feel not. like the answer is no. Yeah. Because none of them do. Not because right. it's not a commentary on these particular teams. Right. Just it's none just of them going do. to look like the Big Ten. <laughs> Or the ACC, where you have some outstanding yeah. teams, some good teams, some bubble teams, and some bad teams. Yeah. And it's going to, it just changes how I feel about this conference because you don't have that stretch of games where you're saying, well, we have to beat Oklahoma State at home, or else we might lose four in a row because Kansas is coming to town and we're going to Baylor. And after that, we're going to Ames mm-hmm. or whatever that combination might be, or we're going to Austin to play Texas. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have that feel anymore. So I'm just very interested in what that looks like this season and what that maybe suggests about this ultimate new version of 16 teams we're headed towards. And then in, in coupled with that is we didn't add any games to this list mm-hmm. to this conference schedule, but we added teams. Yeah. So therefore, you're taking the implication there is that you're you could be taking away games that either that help you, but wouldn't hurt you and could potentially be adding games that don't really help you if you win them, but could hurt you if you lose them. And that might be in, in one sentence, what makes the big 12 so valuable is the number of games, the percentage of conference games that you play that could help you, but don't hurt you if you lose them. And Mm -hmm. as you add more teams, and as you more consistently have bad teams in your conference, the uh, the lower that percentage is. Yes. How many teams can make the NCAA tournament? I have nine. I have nine. Interesting. Let's see if they're the same nine. I don't think they're going to be the same because you're going to have Iowa State. Then, yeah, we're different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll run down the we'll run down the list here. Um, Kansas. Yeah, not on a limb there. Uh, Kansas, Houston. Yes, Texas, Baylor. Yes, yes. TCU. Yes, Kansas State. Yes, Cincinnati. Yep. Texas Tech. Nope. And the last one on my list is West Virginia. Okay, I do not have West Virginia either. Okay. West Virginia so, has a basketball team where the capable of making the NCAA tournament. That roster is capable of making the NCAA tournament. It is a very, very whether it's intriguing... a train wreck or not because of what happened this summer is a different question. But yes. it like that that roster has enough good college basketball players to make the tournament. My hesitation with it, they would have been my tenth team. My hesitation with it is. That you've got to call outside of Jesse Edwards and Kirk Creasa, who are established high major guys. You've got this group, Raekwon Battle, Jose Perez, Quinn Solzinski, who are coming back to the high major level 
after transferring from the high major level to the mid major level and then going returning at West Virginia to the high major level. Mm-hmm. To me, if you're an NCAA tournament team, those guys need to produce at a much, much higher level than they did when they were originally in the high major ranks. Now, they're better basketball players, more experienced basketball players. It's entirely possible that happens. There were just too many question marks for me to look at a team headlined by Kirk Creesa and Jesse Edwards and say, I am confident I can talk myself into that team making the NCAA tournament. That basketball team has enough players, a good college basketball players on it to make the tournament. I do yes, believe it's that. Enti- I would not be surprised if they do. And if this is a, a rallying together situation after everything they've gone through, generally they decide to stick it out together, which is notable, right? Mm-hmm. Creason and Edwards could have left yeah. after everything that happened. It's, it is possible. I just, I, I'm taking it all believe it when I see it stands with West Virginia. So the other two I have are Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Okay. Oklahoma State, you're basically starting over outside of Bryce Thompson and John Michael Wright, but you got two top 50 recruits. Isaiah Miranda's coming in from NC State. Really interesting prospect. He's another one of those guys for me that you could look up and you are talking about him as the most improved player in this conference just because he hasn't found his footing yet but he's got all kinds of potential. Javon Small was excellent at East Carolina. There's some real talent there, and you know how I feel about Mike Boynton. So mm-hmm. I threw them in there as well. Fair. The, the rest of the conference, like I said, Oklahoma, four of your top five. Actually, let's start at the top of my list. Yeah, Texas Tech. Okay, Pop Isaacs is back. You got this collection of high major transfers, Joe Toussaint, Devin Cambridge, Warren Washington from Arizona State. That didn't go particularly well last season. Kyron Lindsey from Georgia. Chance McMillan had a good season at Grand Canyon, but I don't see any of those guys as difference makers in this conference. Oklahoma, like I said, you've lost four of your top five scores from a team that wasn't all that great to begin with. BYU, Mm -hmm. you do have four of your top six back. Then you add Dawson Baker, Ali Khalifa, a couple mid-major transfers. They might be a little bit better than you expect. What I found interesting about BYU that I wanted to point out is, offensively, they took a huge step back last season. They had been an excellent offensive team in terms of efficiency, which is why they were right getting into the top 25. You wouldn't pay attention to them, and they end up as a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament, those kind of things. That was not who BYU was last season. UCF, two double-digit scorers are back. DeMar Langford, Omar Payne have high major experience. They're interesting. There's also a reason they've bounced around a little bit. They haven't really mm-hmm. been able to find somewhere they can get comfortable and produce. So I, yeah. West Virginia is a team that, if I'm looking at the schedule, would scare me. I'm with you on that. The rest of them, not quite as much. Fair. That's fair. I'm generally going to lean. I'm 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 going to lean towards the teams that were in the Big Twelve last year, mm-hmm. and 
I think that provides some chances that maybe otherwise they wouldn't. To be clear, I think that I would probably bet on one, two, three, four, five, six, probably seven teams making the tournament. That's kind of how I'm feeling. Kansas, Houston, Texas, Baylor, TCU, Kansas State, and then throw, throw who you want in in that seventh spot. I would probably throw Cincinnati in there right now, but you could, you could convince me of a couple different teams there. Um, maybe if things go spectacularly and really you're just beating up the entire conference is beating up on four or five teams at the bottom, three or four teams at the bottom that maybe you get eight in there, mm-hmm. but it's probably seven. Yeah, I would agree. Who's your winner? Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Death taxes and. Yeah, and I decided to pick Baylor last season. I will not oh, be that doing that again. Yep. That's part of it. Part of it is, like you've talked about multiple times, there's an awful lot of talent in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, I just have question marks about everybody else. There's nobody I look at and go, I feel really confident about their ability to challenge Kansas, which is where I got last season with Baylor and where Baylor has been the past few seasons outside of last season, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the answer to me is Houston. If I have to pick somebody, it's Houston. I would almost say that I'm confident in Houston's ability to challenge Kansas. Certainly Houston, I said Kansas twice. Um, no, I think you said I think, right. Okay. Well, yeah, I think, I knew, I I think Houston is capable yeah. of that. I do. I agree. Certainly capable. I will not assume that about a team that has never played in this conference before. Fair. That has never played this level of competition consistently. I if think it that's was year, completely fair. If it was year two and Houston had proved that this was not a difficult transition at all, maybe my mind changes on that a little bit. But outside of that, does Texas have the firepower? Marcus Carr, Serge Barry Rice, pretty big deal. Yes, they brought some pieces in, but is yes, right, Serge Barry is Max Acemus Marcus Carr? You can't just assume no. that he's going to be. You know, no <laughs> Baylor. Those defensive issues. They could be much better this season. It's a different set of personnel. I like their defensive chances better. I mm. like how they line up defensively better. But I'm not assuming that's a good defensive team all of a sudden after what happened last season. Those are probably the other favorites, right? Those mm-hmm. four? Those three and Kansas? Yeah. I just There's nobody I'm going, I can't pass up the opportunity because I really feel like that is the best team in the conference. I don't feel that way about anybody but Kansas. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I agree with you. I think Kansas wins the Big 12. And I'm pumped for this conference this year. Um, This is a really fun version of this conference. I'm sad that it's not going to last very long. I would love for this to be the end of the realignment for the Big 12 in particular. Um, 
I'm actually in the camp of I don't think that Oklahoma and Texas on the basketball side of things are a are not the pillars of this conference. People might disagree with me there. And to a certain extent in terms of like brand and people paying attention, that's probably true. But those who pay close attention to college basketball know that on a day on a year in and year out basis, those are not the two teams that yes. at least in the last ten years or so have been the reasons that the Big Twelve is awesome. Um it will hurt. Don't get me wrong. Uh, th- both of those teams have had really good teams um, at points in the last, you know, dozen years or so. But this is a fun version of this conference, and I will uh, be excited to watch it for the year that it's here. Yeah, they are the pillars of the Big Twelve, not the pillars of Big Twelve men's college basketball. Correct. That's the that's a very much that's a much more uh, efficient way to say what I just said. I just hope I still love this conference as much as I have. That's my wish. Ah, you're going to make me shed a tear. All right. (laughs) That's all we've got for you. Hour and 12 minutes. If you're still here, we very, very much appreciate you. Uh, We'll keep rolling on in conference previews next week. I believe if the alphabet has not changed, which I don't think it has, I believe that means that the the Pac-12 is next? Yes. Talk about shedding a tear. Uh, talk about shedding a tear. I might, I might cry for the Pac-12 just on their behalf. But we'll do that next week. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube if you have not already. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.